Good morning. My name is Rick Hazel. I'm one of the ministers here on staff at First City. Thank you for being here today and coming and making this a priority. I know there are a lot of people who are under the weather, not feeling good, they're sick. And, and anybody in your family, your household, you know, somebody who's uh, there's. So thank you for being here today. We had a lot of people call in and say, can't serve today, you know, just be praying for me. I'm sick. If I were to come, I'll get other people sick. I understand that. Even my wife is home really sick today. And so I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you're well and that God is blessing you. And so we need to be praying for all those people who are under the weather. They'll heal up quickly. But thank you for being here. Open up your Bible or your iPad or your cell phone. Just turn the ringer off to the book of Jonah. We're going to be in the book of Jonah today. Now, this is such a familiar book. Even people who do not know a lot about the Bible or have never really studied the Bible have heard. How many of you have heard of the, the story of Jonah before? Just raise your hand. Everybody, okay. So what's the story of Jonah about? The whale, the big fish, the man, the Jonah. He's, yeah, it's Jonah and the big fish. Of course it is. And so we're going to talk today just about the, the story uh, of this prophet, this man named Jonah, and see what God wants to speak to us today. So before we really jump into all that, uh, this past week I was just studying. In fact, it was a Friday, and I was studying, going over my message and what I wanted to say, and I was actually doing some research on the history, you know, about what was going on with Judah and up in Samaria and where were God's people and just trying to study all the land and the territory that surrounded you know, what we're talking about today, just so that I could understand the economic and political and social and moral climate, you know, of the day. And I was in the middle of studying it. And so I got hungry and I looked and I'd passed lunch. I hadn't had breakfast, hadn't had lunch. It was two o'clock. And I thought, man, I am hungry. So I went to church's chicken and got the $5 sweet meal deal. I'm just, I'm just applauding my own church's chicken. And, um, and so I went, and you know, I'm standing in churches, and, and, uh, and I, there's a guy in front of me, so I'm waiting in line, and a guy comes behind me, and he walks in. It's not a very big area if you've ever been in churches, chicken. And, uh, and so he walks in, and he nods at me. I nod back. You know, it's just the, you know, it's the nonverbal, what's up with you? It's a, what's up, man? What's up with you? You know, morning, morning, a a. So, so. It, then another guy walked in a couple of minutes later, and those two men knew each other. And so the, the second guy who walked in was a painter. How do I know? Because he was dressed in painting clothes. And so, so he said, what's up, brother? And he said, how are you doing, man? And they clapped, and they grasped, you know. And he said, how are you? How's your family? Man, all good, all good. I'm blessed. I mean, everything's going good. You know, he's like, uh, my son's good. My wife's good. Family's good. Business is good. Man, I am blessed. So, you know, and, and he's raising his voice. He goes, man, I'm blessed. You know what I'm saying? I'm blessed. And the people cooking the chicken and making the drinks and serving everybody, they looked over and apparently they knew him. They're like, uh, you know, Ralph is in the house. You know, whatever. I don't know the guy's name. And so, but he's talking out loud. And I really liked it, especially what he was talking and the way he was talking. And so I decided to insert myself into the conversation. <laughs> and so... I turned around and I said, man, is it not good when, when your family, your children, and everybody's doing well? Is that not blessed by God? 
Amen, right on, brother. At which time he came over and clasped my hand and gave me the amen, pat and out. You know, you know me and how we do that. And so I was like, that is awesome. And he starts talking. I'm telling you, God's been so good to me. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm not ashamed to tell anybody. This painter man. Well, I'm not ashamed to tell anybody. There was a time when I didn't know him. He rescued me. And I'm telling you, I'm telling everybody. I know. That's what I wanted to do. I, I wasn't giving him a standing ovation except inside. I'm like, woo. I mean, there was something inside me that was going, man, I should be so bold all the time. Amen. But I liked it. I just liked it. And so I just continued the conversation. I said, okay. Where were you? And he's like, I'll tell you right where I was. I was down up there on Ninth and Bayou, and I was standing on that corner, and I was homeless, and I was going nowhere fast, and I was smoking crack, and I was killing myself. And I had nowhere to go. I had nothing to live for, and I was at the end of my rope, and I wanted to die. But I was too afraid. And then he said this word for word, like Jonah in the belly of that whale. I cried out to God. That's all you got to do is offer one prayer. And God rescued me like he did Jonah. And today I don't smoke crack. I got a job. And I'm telling you, I am blessed. And people in the place were like, amen. And right on. Right? I mean, it was like, I'm telling you, it became church's chicken right there. (laughs) And he said, where were you? I told him where I was. And I told him when I was in the hospital with my son and what happened. I said, I was a painter. I was painting just like you. And God did something I did not expect, and it radically altered my life. And then I whispered, and today I'm a pastor. But you don't whisper to that man and keep it quiet. (laughs) You a pastor? Run on. God bless you, right? So I got my food, and I decided I'm going to jump up and be bold, too. As soon as I got my $5 sweet meal deal, I said, God bless you all. And he's like, that's what I'm talking about. And then I came back to church. There was a little something in me that wished I act like that all the time, everywhere I go. Do you think I do? To my embarrassment. The book of Jonah may surprise you. I hope it does. I hope what I can do today is open up our eyes to the book of Jonah to make it bigger than a children's storybook. Because when you go to, you know, uh, a Barnes and Noble or the Christian bookstore, this is what you see. And if people ask, what's the book of Jonah about? Everybody says, well, it's about the whale. And well, we don't know it was a whale. The Bible just calls it a big fish. It's about the big fish. Jonah is not about a big fish. In fact, the big fish only takes up three verses in the whole book. It's not about the fish. For people to think it is about the fish, we've really missed the whole point. And I know when you're, you know, children in the back and they're like, Jonah, Jonah, go down to Nineveh. Oh, Jonah. And Jonah said, no, I won't go. And he goes in the opposite direction and do 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 And they throw him overboard and a big fish swallows him up and 
takes him down to the bottom of the sea and he cries out to God with seaweed wrapped around his head and stuck in his teeth and said, God, save me. And God takes that fish and spits him up on dry land. And Jonah obeyed God. Jonah obeyed God. Jonah obeyed God. And all the children's books end with, children, obey your parents. And it's a good book. Amen? It's a good book. Jonah. Was Jonah good prophet, bad prophet? Depends on what chapter you're in. <laughs> That's a good answer. So I want, I want us to read the adult book of Jonah. Now, here's one other reason why this is important. Let me give you the three main points. Because I, I don't, I don't want to just go point by point today. I don't want to do a sermon outline. I just really want to talk to you if it's okay. But if you're a fill-in-the-blank person, here it is. So on page one in your outline that's in the pew rack in front of you, it's more than the children's book. I want to talk about Jonah's place in history, and then I want to ask, why should we pay attention to this book? That should have a question mark on the end of it, shouldn't it? So why should we pay attention at all? And then we have three points on the back that took me by surprise. And as I'm just doing my study in the book of Jonah, I was really a little overwhelmed in the fact that I started off reading a children's book about a prophet who probably had a hard time making the right decisions. And ended up being convicted that that book was talking about me. And it just kind of sucked me in and didn't under... You know, I mean, I just wasn't expecting it. So if you're a fill-in-the-blank person, those are the the fill-in-the-blanks. Now, this is one of the reasons why I think this is very important to us. Any of you ever talk to somebody and talk to them about being a Christian and the Word of God and how important the Word of God is? And they're like, well, I just don't know about all that. I don't know that I believe in God, and I don't believe that I, I don't know if I believe that the Bible's the inspired word of God. And you're like, well, why not? And they said, well, you know, there's just some stories in the Bible that I have a hard time believing. And any of you heard people talk about Jonah, and they're like, I just don't believe that that man, you know, went in the belly of a fish for three days. Scientifically, I just, it's just, I, I don't believe it. Have any of you ever talked to somebody like that? So here's the deal. For people who say they don't necessarily want to believe in God or they don't know that they can take the Bible as the inspired word of God, use this book, use Jonah as a litmus test for why they don't believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And when you really get back and look at it, like I've been looking at it, I've been listening to Timothy Keller and and Tim Mackey and a bunch of other people and Burton Kaufman. Here's your story. I was in Houston, Texas, 1988. Burton Kaufman was just a little five foot one. I love it when someone's shorter than me. And so this little guy, and he was writing his commentary. If you've ever heard of the, uh, the, you know, the Kaufman books commentaries on the Bible, he was writing his, his commentary on the book of Jonah. And we were at a, a preacher's luncheon. A bunch of preachers were there. And the guy who was supposed to speak didn't show up. And someone says, well, what are we going to do? Burton Kaufman stood up, stuck his hand in his pocket, Raised his hand and said, the book of Jonah. That's how he talked. The book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Said, Jonah, I heard the wickedness of the city of Nineveh. And it came up against me and their wickedness. Go to Nineveh and preach against that city. And he quoted the whole book and sat down. And nobody knew what to do except clout. (laughs) <laughs> you know, the whole book, quoted the whole book. 
And so I've looked at, you know, Burton Kaufman, what did he say about it, and all these other guys, what did they say? Do you know that scholars debate whether or not this really happened or not? Whether it's just satire or an allegory or a fable or whether it's real? And everybody talks about, well, Jesus in the book of Matthew says that he knows that Jonah is a real character. And he said, just as Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days, so will the Son of Man, you know, be in the grave for three days, and then he'll rise, and, right? And he was talking about predicting his own death, burial, and resurrection. But even though Jesus was talking about Jonah and the story, he really neither confirmed nor denied that it was either real or not. One of the reasons why people debate it is because it's written like a parable. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The, the first few words in the book of Jonah start with what? Someone just quote me the first, first few words. The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord did what? came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, if you have your Bibles or it's easy for you, just flip one page over to the book of Micah. How does the book of Micah start? The word of the Lord came to Micah. Now, all of the book of the prophets, these minor and major prophets, and it doesn't, it's not, hey, they were, there were really good prophets and then there were prophet juniors. It's just short books and long books. That's just how we've done in the Old Testament. All of these prophets come, and, and all of them begin with, God gave this vision to uh, Jeremiah or to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah, or this vision, or the word of God came to Micah or Obadiah or Isaiah. All of these prophets. And what follows after that is God gives these words to this prophet, and then this prophet speaks these words to God's people. And so you pick up the book of Jonah and you think that's exactly what's about to happen. But it doesn't. In the book of Jonah, it's the only book of prophets where the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And what follows is a story about Jonah. Not God's words to Jonah that end up going out to his people. And it's written just like a parable. And, and, and so when you're reading it and you're, and you're going through it, you're like, whoa. That's, that's different than what I expected. And, and it's over the top. It's, you know, it's, it really is more like Saturday Night Live than, than real life. And I'm not here to debate whether or not Saturday Night Live is great or not. They're getting, for me, a little bit too political in the way they go about it. But the idea behind Saturday Night Live, really funny, is to take these real characters and put them in these semi-real situations and make everything over the top so that hopefully we end up laughing at, oh, wow, we really are goofy, aren't we? But it really tends to be a little too political these days, doesn't it? You're like, Do I, can I admit that I watch Saturday Night Live? <laughs> but that's what this, that, so there's, half of the scholars are saying that's what it is. It's satire. It's a real man who really lived, Jonah, put in a, in a situation that's over the top and people debate. It's almost, it's the same thing that Jesus did with the rich man and Lazarus. Remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? Most scholars believe that Lazarus was a real person, a real beggar. And that Jesus was given this parable and he says, well, once time there was this rich man and there was this beggar named Lazarus. And everybody's going, I, remember, I know Lazarus, I remember him. He used to sit down at the so-and-so gate right outside. And, and he did sit outside a rich man's house. And Jesus just tells this whole parable to get people to see something about their lives. Now, to me, 
you know, there's nothing in the Bible for me to not believe that it was a real story. But whether, whether you believe it's satire or whether you believe it really happened, the point of why it's in the Bible is the same. Is one minute, I think I'm just reading about Jonah. And the next minute, I realize, oh, he's talking about me. And that's what I want you to do. I want to open up the book of Jonah, maybe for the first time with adult eyes. Let's look past the fish and look at what he's saying about us. Okay, let's look at the history of Jonah. So Jonah lived at a time when Israel was divided between the tribes of Judah and the tribes of Israel. If you know anything about history and you can go back and research it, God had all of the Israelites. They were in slavery for 400 years, brought them out, took them through, through Kadesh Barnea into the promised land, settled around Jerusalem, which was the capital, put his temple there. People would come from all over the place, offer sacrifices. He went through kings of David and Solomon. Solomon had a son. And, and his son and another man became jealous, divided the kingdom, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and it split into two different kingdoms. Here's a picture of it. And so you see that the kings of Israel are in yellow and the kings of Judah are in green. And Jonah was a prophet to the king of Israel during the time of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II, good man, bad man? Bad. His dad, Jehoash, good, good king, bad king. His grandfather, Jehu, good king, bad king. All right, son of a son of a son, all bad. Let me just show it to you. Here's 2 Kings. Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, began to rule in Israel for 15 years of King Amazon's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 41 years. So Samaria is north, 41 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebet, had led to Israel. Now, when everybody read that, they're like, oh, my goodness, Jeroboam, son of Nebet, he was awful. He was awful to the people. He was awful to God. He was awful in his land. He was terrible. And Jeroboam, two, second version, second, the same man, second verse, worse than the first. He continues. Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Lebohamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through, here's our character, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Hefer. Now, Jonah's a real man, really lived at a real time, 750, 760 years before Jesus. And he served under this king who did evil in the sight of God. And truth is, Prophet, good, bad. He was very content to serve an evil king. And he even prophesied, God, expand the territory of Jeroboam II. And God did. Let's go ahead and read that verse. And because the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel completely, he used this evil king, Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, to save them. So here's the climate. Jeroboam is not a good king. Nobody is being led spiritually back into the presence of God. But God chose to bless his people anyway because he loved them. And so it would be very easy to believe that God is just blessing. Boy, hasn't God blessed us? Blessed, blessed, I'm blessed, aren't you blessed? Everybody's blessed. 
because their 401ks were going up, jobs were plentiful, land was, you know, growing. They had a really, really good relationship with the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians brought in all kinds of luxury and really good things into their city, into their town, into Samaria. And so God's people were prospering. They had good jobs. They drove great cars. They, they had, you know, had cabins up in the mountains. And they had a really nice place next to the water. You know, they, life was good. And Jonah was enjoying this time. So it was a really good time. There was only one problem. The moral climate kept getting worse. You lift up your head and people are like, well, this isn't, we're not living like we did in the 50s. Remember the innocent time of the 50s? The rebellious time of the 60s? The dancing time of the 70s? The awful music of the 80s? <laughs> the moral climate getting better or worse? Who's going to speak up in the name of God? Who's going to challenge the moral climate of our day? Or are we content to just let it continue to get worse and let people just whisper quietly about the things of God instead of speaking up in church's chicken? That's, that's Jonah. Now we're dropping into Jonah. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Why should I listen to this book? Why should I pay attention? Because he's talking about me. Let me just show you on the back page of your outline. Let's just begin to go through it. And the first challenge is this promise of faithfulness. So as you begin to read this first line, this, it just says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And, and he just starts talking you know, about go down to this great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And I have to stop immediately because when he says, Hey, there was this great man, and his name was Jonah. By the way, do you know what Jonah means in Hebrew? It means dove, innocent dove. What a beautiful, innocent dove. Son of Amittai. You know what Amittai means in Hebrew? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. So all of a sudden, once upon a time, the word of the Lord came to the most innocent, sweet, wonderful Son of faithfulness, his name was Jonah. And everybody would have laughed. Jonah? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Have you seen? Do you know who he? <laughs> that man is not innocent. He's never been faithful a day in his life. Are you kidding me? You want to write a book about Jonah and talk about him being a spiritual hero? Are you kidding? I know his church thinks that he is because he was good at hiding it for a while until the word of the Lord really came to him and everybody found out what he was like. Because when you read this book, this is what shocks me. When you begin to really read the book of, not, not the kid's book of Jonah, but the real book of Jonah, you begin to, to recognize very quickly he's the most immoral man in the story. He's the most unfaithful person in the whole book. The sailors on the ship were more faithful, crying out to God in greater ways than Jonah did. The whole town, the wicked city of Nineveh, as horrible as those people were, 
They responded to the word of the Lord more than Jonah did. Jonah told everybody, my name is Jonah. I serve the powerful Lord God. I'm his faithful servant. And everybody's like, that's just words out of your mouth. But when I watch your life, there's nothing in you that lives up to what you say. And it, and it hits me for the first time. And I've just started the book. I just read the first sentence. And it hits me. We're not talking about Jonah. We're talking about me. Here we are today. we laying at rest. Rick Hazlop. He served as a pastor at First City Church for 11 years. He leaves behind a faithful wife and two children, Jonathan and Jennifer. And what do we know about Rick? He was innocent and faithful. Are you sure? Because when the word of the Lord really comes to Rick and says, okay, the children in your city are suffering. There's a foster care crisis in your town. 25% of the children go to bed hungry every night. And I want to know, are you comfortable in your air-conditioned office, making your salary, living every week, doing what you want to do, or are you going to join me or not? And I realize this book is about me. It's not about Jonah. Listen, I, I don't ever intend to sin. Not one day. I probably do. I bet you do the exact same thing I do. You wake up early in the morning. You say, oh, dear God, thank you for the day. Thank you for letting the sun rise. Brand new opportunity. I pray today that I make you proud in the way I live my life and move my steps. I don't intend to see and open my eyes to where you are and what you're doing and give me the courage and conviction to follow that. And at the end of the day, I, hope I do the same thing. Thank you, Lord God, for the day. I pray that today I've been faithful in everything. I pray that the words in my mouth and the meditation of everyone was all in you for you. And Lord, forgive me in anything where I did it was... Don't you do the same thing? Don't you want to be the innocent, faithful one? And if I were to pull back the covers of your life and you were to look at all the different layers of mine... Would we find innocence? Would we find faithfulness? He's talking about us, isn't he? Isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad. Because we really need to be challenged. In a climate in America where it's, most people are comfortable and if we're not, we're like, man, I need a job. I need, but we're, we're comfortable. And the moral climate continues to decline. And the word of the Lord has come to us. So I really hope that this series in Jonah and our next series will begin to prepare our hearts for the call of God to move out of our building and comfort zones and into a community that desperately needs the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. Amen? So, he challenges my faithfulness. Number two, he challenges my obedience. He just challenges my obedience. And as I'm reading it, and I'm, and I'm going back and, I, and I'm just reading, it's like, okay, so God comes and he just gives Jonah this unbelievable opportunity. He's like, Jonah, I want to partner with you to do something great 
I want to transform this entire city. By the way, he uses the word huge. The huge town of Nineveh. Now, 15 times in the book does he use the word huge. Have you ever been around somebody and they use the word awesome, 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 awesome. Everything is awesome. That meal was awesome. Those people are awesome. I'm having an awesome day. Have you ever been around somebody like that? After a while, nothing is awesome, right? But I mean, when everything is awesome, it's just like, oh, it's just him. He's just, he always exaggerates. <laughs> That's kind of the book of Jonah. They use the word huge. Oh, there was a huge ship and a huge storm and a huge fish and a huge town. And Nineveh was so big, it took Jonah three days to walk through it. Well, everybody knew. Three days to walk through it. Are you kidding? 45 miles, a person can walk, an average walk, 15 miles a day. 45 miles. This city's 45 miles big. No. It's seven miles around. You could have walked completely around the whole thing in half of a day. He's not, but it was the biggest city, and they were awful people. But here we are, and God says, Jonah, Jonah. I want to do something big. I want to do something huge. And I want to invite you into it. Are you with me? Are you with me? And, and all of a sudden I realize he's talking about me. Because this is what I read, you know, when it goes back to Jonah verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. And he headed in the opposite direction. He's like, you know what? I think I'm going to go down to Joppa and I'm going to find a ship and I'm going to go to Tarshish and I'm going to go to that port. And he paid the fare and he took off. Now, here's just a map just so you can see what we're talking about. So when you look at the map, so he's in Bethapar just right above Joppa. And when it says he went down to Joppa, he did go down. By the way, we're going to talk about this next week. You're going to see, because the writer is using all this symbolism, you're going to say, he's going down to Joppa, he went down into the ship, and then he went down into the sea, and then he went down into the belly of the fish, and he went down to the bottom of the sea. And you're going to see how his, Jonah's life just goes down, 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 right? I mean, it's, it's symbolism. He's, he's doing it on purpose. But here he is, and here's Jonah. And he's, he goes down to Joppa, and, and he wants to call him to go over to Nineveh, east or west. Nineveh from Joppa is where? East, east or west? East. But where does Jonah go? Not just west. I mean, he goes way. When Jonah wants to go away from God, he goes away from God. I want to get as far away from the eye of God as I can get. And so it's almost like he goes to the guy and he goes, okay, what port do you have that's the furthest away from here that I can get? You go, well, over in Spain, we got this port at Tarshish. By the way, that is, the, from the known world at that time, that was the edge of the world. As far as they knew, there was nothing else on the other side of that sea. So he's like, I'm going to go to the edge of the world. I want to get as far away from God as I can. And if he shows up there when we continue reading the story... Jonah's like, I'd rather die than go partner with God. Jonah, good prophet, bad prophet. And I realized, oh wait, we're not talking about Jonah. We're talking about me. And when I went back to 2 Kings and I just started reading all that again, 
And I started reading. Let me just show you what he said in 2 Kings. For the Lord saw the bitter suffering of everyone in Israel. Pause. Were people in Israel suffering? Economically. Were they suffering? No, no, no. Remember, it was a good time. Economically, they were growing, building houses, 401ks going up. And, you know, good relationship with the Phoenicians. Everybody was happy. More than enough money to spend. Even when the Bible says that Jonah paid the fare, it cost him more than 4,000 denarii just to go. And he just whipped it out like it was nothing. It's like everybody else was like, how did you have that much money? Being a preacher and all. I didn't think you guys made a whole lot of money. She goes, no, man, I got more than I need. And he just, it was a good time. People had plenty of money. Their jobs were great. But when you listen to God describe it, for the Lord saw the bitter suffering of everyone in Israel and that there was no one in Israel, slave or free, to help them. He's talking about the moral climate. He's talking about the decline of people to do the right thing. He's like, I see what people do on the internet. I see what people do with their lives. I see your minds. I see your unfaithfulness. I see what's going on in your marriages. I'm looking at the decline of your lives. You're better off than anybody else in the world. And morally, you're worse. And the cry of the moral climate in your place is going up before me. And he just told you that that Jonah was the prophet. But now he's saying, I don't have anyone in Israel to help me. God's like, I can't find anybody to partner with me to do the right thing. And it hits me again. I'm not, he's not talking about Jonah. He's talking about me. Am I living in a place where people have jobs? Where there's enough to go around? Where I can turn on the news and find out that somebody's talking about how great our economy is getting? And how people have jobs. And everything is supposed to be happy. But I look and see that people are messed up and fighting with each other. And the moral climate continues to deteriorate. And God says, hey, pastor, hey, I've looked at your, at your city. And you got a lot of hurting people in your community. And children are suffering unbelievably. And I want to know if you'll go with me. And let's go do something about it. And when I read Jonah, the next line that came out with Jonah was, and Jonah ran away. But we're not talking about Jonah. We're talking about me. I'm talking about you. And so if the third verse had your name in it, and God said, hey, I know, I know you've you got a lot going on. I get it. But the moral climate in your city is going downhill. And there are children that are suffering badly. And I need you to go with me to do something about it. And verse 3 has your name. But it, just insert your name right there. What do you do next? Offer an excuse? Well, you know, I'm really kind of old. I don't, you know, I just right now, I just got some things going on in my life. 
See, I, I want to talk about how Jonah made the wrong decision. Oh, Jonah, he just didn't get it. We're not talking about Jonah. He's talking about me. And I got to tell you, it, I'm just convicted about it. And so finally, the last point I want to make is the transparency of heart. The transparency of heart. What happens next is Jonah tells you what he really thinks about these people. He doesn't like them. He calls them these people, those people, those Ninevites. Now, Ninevites were awful. They were awful. They didn't worship Jehovah God. They worshiped idols. Their best idols, they worship Asherah, which is sex gods. It's all about the, the sexual decline, the moral it, just, it was an awful uh, environment in, in what was going on as it related to those kind of issues. And they also worshiped the God of Molech. To us, it's just a name. But to them, it was the way they sacrificed their children. We don't care about children here. We, we, we would just assume discard them because they're an interruption to our party. And we would rather just play and party and do our drugs and do whatever we want to do. And if our children suffer, they suffer. If the state takes them, the state takes them. I don't care. It's, I, I got to fix, I got, I, this is about me. I got to fix my life. They were awful. They were awful. And Jonah says, I don't like them. And I don't want anything to do with them. They're not my kind of people. And I'm not going to go. I would rather die, he says later, than go and do that mission. And I realized we're not talking about Jonah. He's talking about me. And so when I'm reading about why did Jonah not go, at first I thought Jonah didn't want to go because he was scared. These people are bad. They skinned people. Whenever they would go and take over a territory... They would take the leaders of that territory. They would take the captain of the guard. They would take the king. They would take anybody who was rich. And they would bring them up in front of all their people. And they de-skinned them alive. And then they would burn them. And they would just laugh. And then they would know, have I scared you enough? Are you going to stay out of my way? Are you going to do what I say? I need everything you have except your children. And you can just burn them. See, I thought he didn't want to go because he was scared. Because it's like, man, you want me to parachute behind enemy lines? You want me to go? I know what they do to people like me. But that's not why Jonah didn't want to go. He was not scared of them. This is why he didn't want to go. Chapter 4. But Jonah was not pleased at all, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said you know, to you while I was still in my own country? And he tells you the real reason why he didn't want to go. This is why I ran away to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a kind and loving God who shows compassion. I knew that you are slow to anger and are filled with loving kindness, always ready to change your mind and not punish. I knew you would forgive their sin. I knew you would do right for them. I knew you would love them full of grace and mercy. And I did not want you to. I don't like them. I don't want them to go to heaven. They deserve to go to hell. And as far as I'm concerned, I would rather go there and make sure they go there than to partner with you in this kind of a mission. And I realized, 
We're really not talking about Jonah. I mean, if, I, if I'm way too comfortable just going in and out of my office every week, hanging out with Christians all the time, and never sharing the love of Jesus with people who need him the most, am I any different from Jonah? Yes or no? We're not talking about Jonah. And they were despicable people. If you were to turn over Micah and then the next book, Nahum, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, men, woe to these people, they're full of blood. And they plunder people. And there's no one innocent. Everybody's a victim there. He's like, this is a horrible place. I get it. They're awful people. But God is like, that's why they need me. They treat their children awfully. They beat each other up. They accuse each other of all kind of things. They would rather do their drugs than serve their children. As far as I'm concerned, they can rot in jail. They deserve it. And God's like, are you sure? Because I'm calling you to go into your hurting city and do something. Are you with me? So I realize at the end of it, and I just start, I mean, I just started the book. And I realize I have a question in front of me. What am I going to do? What kind of a commitment am I going to make? What convicts me is is Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. And when Jonah was in the belly of that fish in our story, this is what he said. And really, this is the point. God wants to know what will it take To bring you, me, here. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And God's like, that's where I want you to be. Because I know if I can get you here, your homes will change. Your marriages will transform. You'll be better parents. You'll be better sons and daughters of God. You'll be better employers, better employees. You'll be better neighbors, better people, better friends. Are you with me? Do you want to be faithful? Do you want to keep all of your vows? Do you want to be the innocent son of the faithful one? Because there was one who was faithful for you. He died on a cross to save your soul. He died so that you can stand before God holy and blameless and innocent. And do you care? Do you want to say yes to that? And do you want to partner with Him to go into a hurting world to transform people that are not very good people? God's not coming to make us good God's coming to transform us. He wants to know, are you with me? Because your world is hurting. Your world is awful. And God wants to transform them. As we prepare right now to come before the bread and the cup, and for those of you who are new We're about to go into our time of communion. 
And when I say we're going to go before the bread and the cup, this is what I'm talking about. There was this one day when they asked Jesus what he was doing with his life and why he wanted to go to Jerusalem and what he was about to go through. And Jesus said, you remember Jonah? Do you remember how he was in the belly of that big fish for three days? The cry of Jonah. I'm here to go to the depth of hell to rescue you so that you don't have to. And just like Jonah was in the belly for three days and came out, I will resurrect and unite you with God. Will you be my disciple? Will you follow me to the ends of the earth? Will you go share the good news that life doesn't have to end in disaster? Will you seek and save the lost? Will you come with me? Because your world needs it. Are we talking about Jonah anymore? So I invite you to the table. Jesus said, I'm going to give you these two emblems. And every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're going to declare that I was the faithful one for you. That when you were at your lowest, when your life was going down, 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 I rescued you and brought you to life. And now I've called you to a mission to go do the same thing for your enemies. Are you with me? And when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're doing two things. Declaring the truth of that mission and examining yourself to see if you're on board or running away. So it's your opportunity. Come to Jesus. Share in the meal, the bread, the wine, the, 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 the cracker, the juice. And let's declare the faithfulness of God and take the mission that he's called us to. Lord God, we started by reading a children's story. We thought it was about a fish, but it's about us. It's a call to faithfulness and obedience. It's a call to partner with you in great things that will transform lives. Oh God, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, for rescuing us and transforming us, for bringing us out of the pit of hell and opening us up into the new reality of the amazing grace of Jesus, the life of the Holy Spirit, the freedom of forgiveness. We celebrate that in the name of Jesus. And we choose as we eat this bread and drink this cup to walk with you and accept the call to go into all the world and preach the good news. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you.